This morning's text is John 4, 43 through 54. This is God's holy word. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea. To Galilee. We pray with me, friends. Father, again we thank you for your word. And now, at the moment when we prepare to sit under your word preached, we pray for your Holy Spirit to work in us that we might hear, be changed, obey, honor you. Save souls, change lives, do things that only you can do, God. We are hopeless and helpless without you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. John told us he wrote this gospel, choosing the events that he would record In order that we might believe in Jesus, John wanted you and me to read this book, believe in Jesus, and find life and salvation by grace through faith in Christ. But what does belief look like? Belief is more than you hoping that a thing might be true. Belief is more than just nodding toward Jesus in case he might have something special. Belief is more than trying Jesus out. Belief in Jesus is a wholesale reliance on Jesus and Jesus alone for your soul's eternity. It's a big deal. And we need to be reminded time and time again of the goodness And the glory of Jesus for the good of our souls and the strengthening of our faith. And this morning we're going to watch something glorious happen. We're going to see a miracle from Jesus. And as we see it, we're going to be challenged to believe in Jesus for real. Let's find four points together as we watch What John says is Jesus' second sign, the second major miracle out of seven major miracles in this gospel. 
So, let's begin with point number one. Seek the Savior instead of signs. Seek the Savior instead of signs. Look at 43 to 45. Some weird scripture right here, just so you all know. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Chapters 2 and 3 of this gospel, we saw Jesus ministering in the south, in Judea. And it was probably about a nine-month period from April through December or so. Then in what I think is the winter of A.D. 27, others would say it's A.D. 30, doesn't really matter a ton, I guess, Jesus headed north, passing through Samaria. Now, last week, we finished our look at the encounter between Jesus and the woman at the well at Samaria. And at the end of that time, Jesus stayed in that Samaritan village two days. He was helping the townspeople to come to know him. And many people believed because of the words of Jesus and because of the testimony of the woman who had been changed by Jesus. But then once that two-day visit in the town was over, Jesus continued north on his way to the region of Galilee. Now, remember, as you think of the nation of Israel during the days of Jesus, the land was divided into sort of a northern and a southern region. And the southern region, which included places like Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Jericho, that was called Judea. The northern region, where you would find Capernaum, Cana, Nazareth, that was Galilee. And between those two regions is Samaria. That's a place many Jews would completely avoid. Others would definitely hurry through. You didn't hang out in Samaria for fear of ceremonial contamination from the Samaritans. And verses 43, 44, 45 would be really easy to handle were it not for the way that a couple of words are used, but because of the way we read the word for, And the way we read the word so, words that indicate causation, we got to slow down a little bit, make sure that we don't miss an important lesson from John here. John tells us, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Does that sound weird to you? Why... Why would he say it this way? How does this fit together? Why would we say Jesus went to Galilee because a prophet has no honor in his own hometown? Or maybe better, in his own homeland. What is it about having no honor in his home region would cause Jesus particularly to say, let's go there? There are a lot of answers that are out there. I'm going to share with you the one I think is most plausible. When Jesus was in the south in Judea, which, yes, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but Jesus' home region was not Judea. But down in the south, Jesus had grown in popularity. Look up at the beginning of chapter 4, if you still have chapter 4 open in front of you. 
You'll see that the religious teachers learned about the growth of the ministry of Jesus and it got their attention. John 4 verses 1 through 3 say, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and and departed again for Galilee. Why would Jesus, this is what you're going to be asking yourself, why would Jesus leave a region where his reputation was growing, where his popularity was growing? And I'll tell you that I think the answer is because it wasn't time for Jesus to go to the cross yet. It wasn't time for Jesus to die for our sins yet. That's going to come in a couple of years. Jesus was not in a spot where it was the right timing for a major confrontation between himself and the Jewish religious leaders. And Jesus wasn't just trying to annoy them as often as he could. Jesus didn't find it necessary to have as much conflict as possible in his life. So Jesus chose to leave the south, to leave Judea, and to head back up to Galilee, where his popularity was actually not quite so great. There, the Savior would be able to minister in a place where he was less popular, less well-received. Yes, some people in that region will believe in him, but many will reject him. But everybody in Galilee needs to hear about him too. And then he won't necessarily draw the attention of the, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees quite so quickly because it wasn't time yet. Now, everything I just said fits 43 and 44 really well. But then comes verse 45, and you've got to wonder, A, if I'm right, and B, what gives? John said, Jesus said, a prophet is without honor except in his own homeland. Then John says, in a way that feels almost contradictory, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone up to the feast. Do you feel a little weird there? Anybody? What is it? Is a prophet without honor, or was Jesus welcomed by the Galileans? On the surface, That doesn't seem like both of those can be true. But let me draw your mind to a couple of other verses that we've already seen in this gospel. In John 1, verses 9 through 13, we read, The true light, which gives life to to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. John says to us, Jesus came to his own. Well, let me ask you from what you just heard me read in John 1, did his own receive him? According to the word. Group participation? No. His own, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But then the next verse says, but those who did receive him became children of God. So which is it? Did his own not receive him, or did some receive him and become God's children? Yes, that's exactly the right answer. Both things are true. 
In general, Jesus was not well received by his own, but some people did believe and they were blessed by God to become God's own adopted sons and daughters. Similarly, in Galilee, Jesus was generally not honored, though some people did believe. But that's not enough to explain the use of the word welcomed in verse 45. How is it that Jesus was welcomed? Interestingly, in verse 45, John says that many in Galilee welcomed Jesus because they saw what he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. Way back at the Passover feast in Jerusalem, eight or nine months ago, many Galileans saw Jesus performing miracles in Jerusalem. We read about them, and we read about Jesus' response to them in chapter 2. Listen to John 2, 23 to 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus did miracles, and it impressed many people at the feast. And John says people at the feast believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not entrust himself to those people. And I think very interestingly, the Greek word behind believe and entrust is the same Greek word. The crowd believed in Jesus. Jesus did not believe in them. They believed Jesus what? Was powerful? Sure, they believed he was powerful. They saw it. They believed Jesus was special? Oh, sure. But they did not believe in Jesus in such a way as to have saving faith in the Lord. And I think the same concept is in play right here in verse 45 of John 4. Jesus knew he would not be honored in his own homeland. Yes, the Galileans welcomed him, but why did they welcome him? They wanted some more miracles. They liked the benefits of having a powerful guy come to their land. They wanted a show from Jesus, but they did not give Jesus the honor due the Messiah. They didn't know him like that. And this is where I think we can pause and grab our first point, our application point. Seek the Savior instead of signs. It is not honoring to Jesus, not truly welcoming to Jesus for a person to say that they believe in Jesus for reasons that are not connected to Jesus. In the world today, there are preachers out there who would preach to you that you should come to Jesus so that you can be healthy and wealthy. There are some out there who would say to you, come to Jesus because it'll make your marriage stronger. There's towns I've been in where people would attend church because they want to be seen as trustworthy people, the kind of men and women that you might vote on to the city council. But in none of those instances is a person coming to Jesus because they want to turn from their sins and follow the Savior. Now, because I fear you're already too close to being asleep, I want to illustrate with a scene that many of you folks will understand. How many of you remember 
movies from the 1980s? A couple of you do. And once you think about movies that involve like high school or young people, young romantic things, and every 80s romantic movie goes kind of like this, right? There's a young man, he's infatuated with what he thinks is the pretty girl, and he asks her out on a date. And let's just say for the sake of this 80s movie, she agrees to go. But then her friends ask her, why are you dating him? He's not popular. And the girl says, well, I like the nice meal that he's going to buy me. And I like the gifts that he gives me. At this point in your 80s movie, you realize this girl is shallow and unkind and selfish and not the right one for the main character, right? Besides, if his friend over here would just take off her glasses, he'd think she's pretty too. Every 80s movie you've ever seen is like that. You know it's true. But it really doesn't honor the young man for the girl to go on a date with him just because she wants his gifts, does it? Why do you follow the Savior? Are you impressed with Jesus' power? Should be. Do you want Jesus to make your life easy? Are you only wanting, hopefully, to escape hell? Listen to me. There is something better. Seek the Savior, not signs. Seek the Savior, not experiences. Seek the Savior, not status. Seek the Savior because Jesus is worth knowing. Seek the Savior because everyone who truly repents and believes in Jesus will have eternal life with Jesus as their reward. Don't look for less. Don't settle for less. Don't desire less than to know and love and be loved by the Savior. I remember once hearing David Paulison speak about a passage in the book of Exodus where the people begged, Moses begged God to go with them and not depart from them. I'm sorry, it was David Platt. And Platt said, as, his, as he applied the passage, don't you understand? You don't go to heaven if you don't want God. You don't go to heaven if God is not who you want. God's not going to be manipulated by people that just want a fun power experience. Seek the Savior, not signs. Point number two, you with me? All right. Seek the Savior in faith. Seek the Savior in faith. 46 to 48. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So Jesus is back in Galilee, and at some point he goes to the town of Cana, and that was where we saw chapter 2. He turns the water to wine at the wedding feast, and here we're going to see Jesus perform a second major miracle. In the town of Capernaum, which is down near the Sea of Galilee, it's a full day's walk from Cana. There's an official. 
Maybe this man was a servant somehow of King Herod. We don't really know. And this official has a son, and his son is desperately ill, near death. And the official travels that full day's walk up to Cana to ask Jesus for help. And do take note here, this is not the same event as when Jesus heals a centurion's son in Matthew chapter 8. There are significant differences in the two stories. Verse 48, though, surprises us. When this guy comes and asks Jesus, please heal my son, you expect Jesus just to do it, right? Jesus is a nice guy. He's a healer. He's a powerful guy. But look at Jesus' response in verse 48. Unless you, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This is a rebuke. Now, I, I'm curious. How many of y'all are King Jamesy folks here? A couple King Jamesy folks. I'm not judging you too much. Jonah, what word do you have when it says unless? I say unless you, but what do you have instead of you? You've got ye. He's got ye and not you. Y'all know the difference in ye and you? You is singular. Ye is plural. You is you. Ye is y'all. Unless y'all see signs, y'all won't believe. Which, by the way, totally fits because everyone assumed Nazareth and Galilee was the redneck region of, of, of Israel. So I kind of think Jesus had an accent like that, but that could be just me. Unless y'all see signs, y'all won't believe. Or you could say, unless you people see signs, you people won't believe. Jesus is not just rebuking the, the, the dad here, but he's rebuking the whole group around him who are just have their tongues out of their mouth waiting for signs. Oh, boy. What Jesus is doing right here fits what we said about verse 45 above. The Galileans welcomed Jesus for the show that they wanted to see, but they didn't believe in Jesus, and that's true of the official who's coming up here too. For his part, the official, he's desperate. He wants his son to get well, and man, that's an understandable desire. Any parent who has ever had a sick child, especially if you've had a really sick child, you know the willingness that, we, that this guy has to go to pretty much any lengths he has to go to to help. Don't hear me condemning the man and his desperation. The problem is not that this dad desired his son to get healed. The official's problem is that he doesn't actually trust Jesus yet. And you can see that in the fact that Jesus speaks a rebuke. So here's the question. What's wrong with the dad's faith? He came to Jesus. He asked. He must have faith. But he doesn't really know who Jesus is. And he doesn't know how gloriously powerful Jesus is. He believes that Jesus needs to leave Cana and travel to Capernaum to be able to heal his son. This guy has no idea. Jesus can heal anybody, anywhere, at any time. And he doesn't have to walk into the room to do it. The official wants Jesus to hurry He's convinced Jesus can heal his son if he gets there before the boy dies, but this guy assumes that Jesus has no power over the grave. But we who know Jesus know differently, don't we? What this whole scene looks like is that the official is willing to try whatever might work if it'll make his son better. I'll try. I'll try Jesus. If Jesus works, I'll try this other healer or this other idea or this other magic power. If it will work, I just want my son better. 
How far would he go? We won't have to speculate on that. But this man sees Jesus as only a possible potential solution. He does not yet understand the true Jesus. And the rebuke that Jesus utters here is very powerful. Unless you people see my power displayed, you're not believing in me. You don't believe in me. You only believe in my miracles. You don't get it yet. You believe the show. You believe the flashing lights. You believe when it delights you. You believe when you go ooh and ah. How about you? What is your belief in Jesus like? Do you feel like you need to see displays of Jesus' power if you're really going to trust him? Do you need an emotionally high experience if you're really going to love Jesus? Do you need dramatic, bold answers to prayer if you're really going to trust the Savior? Y'all, that's not the way to honor Jesus. Our point here is come to Jesus in faith. Hebrews 11 Verses 1 and 6 says, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Christianity is all about faith. We believe that people who are right with God have been saved by God's grace alone through faith alone in Jesus and Jesus alone. And we do not assume that the faith that saves is a vague hope in a powerful experience or a nod to give Jesus a try to see if he might work. Faith that saves is a placing of one's trust, one's hope for one's eternity in Jesus. Saving faith is believing in who Jesus is and what he's done. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God in the flesh. He's God the Son. And he came to earth and he lived a truly human life, yet without ever, ever sinning. Jesus went to the cross and he died a perfect sacrificial death And he paid the price for every single sin God ever will forgive. It proves the perfect justice and the glorious mercy of God in one instant. And Jesus rose from the grave. Do you hear what I just said right there? He rose from the grave. He came back to life. Friends, Jesus, the Jesus of 2,000 years ago, the Jesus of eternity past, he is alive right now. Now, he conquered death. He defeated the grave. He proved that he is exactly who he claims to be. And his sacrifice is enough to save us from our sins. It is complete. It is acceptable. No more work is needed. And Jesus says everybody who comes to him in faith, turning from sin and self, turning to trust in him, they will be saved. They will be forgiven. They will be made into a child of God. Now let me tell you something in case you're confused on what you've seen on your TV. Do not come to Jesus to get rich in earthly money. That isn't how this works. Do not come to Jesus just to try to fix your marriage or get God to bump you up the corporate ladder. That's not what Christianity is. Come to Jesus because Jesus is God, glorious and loving. 
Come to Jesus to find forgiveness for your sins and life forever with the God who made you. Come to Jesus to find the joy of the glory of God, the, glory, the, 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 the joy for which God created you. Come to Jesus for Jesus, for eternal life. Come to Jesus in faith. Third point. Trust Jesus' words, not your sight. Trust Jesus' words, not your sight. Look at 49 and 50. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Now, we've already established this official, he's a desperate dad. He just wants his kid to get better. And don't you sympathize, honestly? Even if he doesn't get it, don't you sympathize? We understand. We want Jesus to be merciful here. You read this story for the first time, and you're like, oh, come on, Jesus, don't say no. The official, he pleads with Jesus, please come down before my child dies, please. He didn't argue with Jesus about the weakness or even the emptiness of his faith. He didn't address the fact that the watching crowd is hungry for a show more than they're hungry for God. The man just asked Jesus, please, Jesus, help me. Savior's made his point. Jesus has shown that there is a problem with the supposed faith of the people around him, and the Savior is kind. All through this book, you see how sweet and kind and gracious Jesus is. You read the gospel according to John, folks. Jesus shows up as the kind of guy you want to hang out with. You want Jesus to come to your house. You want, you want to have coffee with this person. You want just to be this person's friend. That's here. And in this instance, Jesus turns to the official, gives him a command. Go. Your son will live. No, Jesus is not going to go down with him to Capernaum. Jesus does not need to go down with him to Capernaum. Jesus has said the word. Jesus has declared a truth. And this man's son is going to live. And as soon as Jesus says these words, his sovereign power has already worked to heal the son of this official. We don't see it yet. We don't have confirmation of it yet. But it's a done deal. If Jesus says the boy's going to live, guess what? Boy's going to live. What should you and I expect the official, the official here? He didn't understand Jesus had the power to heal from a distance. He thought Jesus needed to get down into that boy's room if he was going to heal him. He thought Jesus needed to hurry, get there quick before the boy dies. Now Jesus says to him, go ahead, head on home. Your boy's going to be fine. And I love what we see here because the official believed. Now stop for a second. Let's get our theology right. Please understand this. It is not the official's belief or the lack thereof that has anything to do with the child's healing. It is the powerful word of Jesus that accomplishes this healing. But it's nice to see, really nice to see, that at this point, even if the official still doesn't really get who Jesus is, he believes what Jesus said. 
He believes Jesus has commanded this healing, and this healing therefore shall be done. And he turns and goes his way. Here's the third point for this morning. Believe Jesus' words. Dear friends, listen to me. The words of Jesus are true and they are trustworthy. Said this to you already, right? Jesus is God in the flesh. So get this what Jesus has said, God has said. What Jesus has promised, God has promised. Jesus cannot lie. God cannot lie. Neither can he fail. And when I say to you, trust the words of Jesus, I'm not telling you to go out and buy a Bible with the words of Jesus in red lettering. How many of you have one of those, by the way? Are, are, are your Jesus words in red? A few of you have that? Okay. Now, I'm going to be, well, I'm going to be me. I'm not super fond of those. Don't, don't, don't go throw your Bible away. It's okay. I'm not fond of the practice, and here's why. All of Scripture is the Word of God. All of Scripture is therefore the word of Jesus. Does that make sense? When we read the letters of Paul, we're reading just, the, just as much the word of Jesus as you're reading the word of Jesus when you're reading the Sermon on the Mount, printed in Matthew 5 through 7, red or black. When you read Psalm 19, we hear the voice of Jesus just as much as you hear the voice of Jesus in Revelation twenty-two thirteen, when Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I'm not knocking your Bible. Please don't hear me there. But here's what I'm saying. Don't let yourself give in to the idea that the red words matter more. Every word of the Bible is the word of Jesus. All of God's word is God's word. All of God's word is Jesus' word. I would urge you this, Christian, believe Jesus' word. When you face any question about life, about morality, about ethics, about philosophy, about anything, begin with this assumption. Start here. The word of Jesus is true. So somebody asks you, well, how old do you think the earth is? Start not with science, not with geology or astronomy. Start with the word of Jesus is true. Start there. If somebody asks you, what should I do if the government commands X or Y? Start with the assumption the word of Jesus is true. If somebody says, should I date this young woman or not? Start with the assumption the word of Jesus is true. I heard recently a person say that, a professor said, you know, I, every time now that I have a young man come to me in my class or in my office and say that he's having real struggles with believing his Bible, I always ask him, what's her name? Because almost always, when you watch a young person all of a sudden get all squishy and struggly with their faith, it always involves somebody they want to go out with. 
and all of a sudden the standards of God become difficult for them. Start, start, never let go. Start with the assumption that the word of Jesus is true. God's word is perfect, pure, without error. God's word is without the possibility of error. Believe Jesus' word and surrender to this as the source of authority for everything in your life. Don't let any feeling you have, don't let any impression you have, don't get any big, powerfully spoken word over you, don't let any of that have authority that supersedes the written down word of Jesus, okay? Okay, fourth point. How about this for a a point in the gospel according to John? Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Let me ask you, by the way, have you guys noticed that that's been a point regularly? You know why? That's the point of the book. 51 to 54. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So here you get the beautiful conclusion of this encounter. The official left Jesus and he began the journey home. And as he's headed home, the official looks in the distance and he sees some of his own servants heading his way. And when they met, the servants had good news for the dad. The fever's broken. Your son, he's, he's better. He's healed. Just out of curiosity, the guy asked his servants, exactly what time of day was it? It's around the seventh hour when the fever left him. Now the way the Jews in that day were counting time, you numbered the hours of the day as the hours after sunrise. I think this was in December. It's a wintertime day. So this is probably close to around one or two o'clock, maybe even closer to two than one o'clock in the afternoon. And this man says, two in the afternoon, huh? Yesterday at two in the afternoon, exactly, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And now the man believes. See, before he trusted the words of Jesus in general, he believed that the miracle man had something up his sleeve and would somehow cause something to come to pass that maybe someday his son is going to be well somewhere, somehow. But now the man knows more. Now the official begins to grasp that Jesus has done a thing that only God can do. Who's ever heard of a person healing a disease with just a command? Who's ever heard of instant, complete, verifiable healing of the body. Who's ever even dreamed of this happening from somebody saying it 20 miles away? Who's ever heard of this happening without medicine or a potion or a magic charm or something? Y'all, this is special because Jesus is special. When the official gets home, Can you imagine? Can you imagine the party? Can you imagine the celebration? There's his son. The boy he feared would die 
is well. And he was healed at exactly the moment Jesus said so. And he tells his household about meeting Jesus in Cana. And the official and his son, his wife, his family, his servants, they all believe. This is not belief in Jesus in the way that the crowds welcomed Jesus. This is genuine, soul-saving, life-changing, I am committed to you, Jesus, belief. This family knows Jesus is greater than anybody they've ever heard of. He's the Savior. And John points out to us, this is now the second sign Jesus has performed in Cana and Galilee. Both instances, Jesus did something that demonstrates his glory. And in each instance, they saw what Jesus did and they believed in Jesus. And I just turn and ask you, do you believe? John said he wrote these things down so that you might believe in Jesus and in believing you might find life in his name. Do you believe? Do you know Jesus is more than just a good man? Do you know Jesus is more than a powerful miracle worker from years gone by? Do you know Jesus is God who put on a human body? Do you know, do you believe that you're a sinner and you need God's forgiveness? Have you asked Jesus, Lord Jesus, because of who you are and because of what you've done, would you please save my soul? Have you put your whole trust for your whole future in Jesus and Jesus alone. I urge you, believe in Jesus. And Christians, you who already believe, learn from this encounter. Seek the Savior. Not signs, not earthly trinkets, not passing treasures. Love Jesus and desire Jesus above all. Seek the Savior in faith. Don't wonder if Jesus might be special. Ask God to help you truly trust in him with everything you've got. Trust Jesus' word. Trust the scripture. Make it your number one authority in every thought you think. Make belief in the word of God the starting point, your sure foundation for every bit of your worldview. Even we who know Jesus need to remember to believe in Jesus for Jesus' glory and for our good. Let's pray together, friends. Lord, again, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, we believe in Jesus Help us to believe well. We believe. Help when we're tempted to unbelief. Lord, grant to us, I pray, true faith, soul-saving faith in the person, the work, the word of Jesus. God, there are people here who need to know you. I pray that we all will.
There are people here that need to value your word primarily. I pray that we will. There are people here who need to rest in you. I pray that we will. Thank you for showing us the love, the power, the miracle of Jesus. It's in his holy name we pray. Amen.